This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode. Tonight, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Ben Crowley. It's just Ben and I uh, talking some Big Ten football tonight. Brian's out, but nevertheless, the show goes on. We got to continue with our preview series, and tonight, it will be the Big Ten. So, Ben, let's start with this. What was the most Big Ten thing you did this summer? Most Big Ten thing I did this summer? Wow, that's a tough question right there. Um, I feel like it'd have to be some sort of combination of drinking beer and eating plain food. Like, there's probably one day this summer where I'm just like, oh, it's a Saturday. I don't feel like moving much, so I just ate some mac and cheese and drank, like, eight or ten beers. That feels like a very Midwestern thing to do. How about yourself? That's pre- Yeah, it's pretty Midwestern. I was going to say, if you... Cut if you were cutting your lawn and drinking a bunch of beers, wash them down or wash those beers down with some hot dogs. And yes, I I wash my beers down with hot dogs. Uh, I think that's a pretty Midwestern thing to do. Pretty Big Ten thing to do. Big Ten can include you know going out to L.A. seeing the L.A. scene. Well, you're kind of stealing my thunder here, Ben, because I think the most Big Ten thing that I've done this summer is something that I'll be doing when you when you all are listening to this podcast. Because as you listen to this podcast. I am in California. That's right. West Coast, Big Ten country, baby. And I'm out there um, doing some national park stuff. I guess that's not really that's not really actually in California. I'm going to be in Utah for that one. So not quite Big Ten country yet, more Big 12 country. But then I'm going to be spending some time in, in California. And I got to give a shout out to probably the biggest fan of Tailgate Till May. That's my sister, Pamela Gorgie. The most dedicated, reliable listener listens to every episode, and I am going to be in California for her wedding, and I couldn't be more excited about it. So I think that's the most Big Ten thing that I've done this whole summer. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a great time, and thanks, Pamela, for listening. And uh, also, it's kind of crazy that California now is tied for the state with the most schools in the Big Ten. Yeah. So what it, what are the states with the most Big Ten teams? It's California, Indiana. Illinois, Michigan. So there's a bunch tied at two, huh? No, nobody has three. No one's got that no. until unless unless Notre Dame comes over, unless we can lure that uh, Irish, then goes to Indiana. Give Indiana the edge. It would have been wild if Stanford and Cal came over, and then there will there would have been <laughs> double the amount of teams in California as any other state. That would have been absurd. But, but now, now they're going to the ACC, so you know it is what it is. Well, TBD. Maybe as you hear this, they might be in the ACC. We'll see if that happens. I count me. The last time I said said this, the whole world blew up. But count me skeptical that that really makes a lot of sense for the ACC. Yeah, there's no benefit to the ACC. There's only pain unless they can somehow package something else, like Stanford can somehow convince Notre Dame. But uh, yeah. I see no benefit for the Clemsons and the FSUs of the world to say yes to that. Yeah, I saw a tweet by David Hale today. He's a great ACC reporter who works for ESPN. And he said something along the lines of, the ACC's problem all along has been that they have too many schools that aren't invested in football. And now they're going and potentially getting two more schools that aren't invested in football. So I don't know how that's really going to solve any problems for them. It seems like it's just going to make things worse. But nevertheless, we will find out. So something I just thought of here. uh, So if we want to relate this into popular culture, what I'm kind of thinking of is Big Ten is the dentist system. The Big 12 is Mac move in after completion. 
and then the ACC just comes in for the scraps, and they just get whatever's left of everything else. So, uh, well, Doctor Mantis Toboggan, well, Mantis Toboggan in his uh, Watt hundreds. That's the ACC. Wow, I'm sure they're gonna love that comparison. Just yeah. a... hey, you're compared to a doctor. You know, they like academics. <laughs> Stanford and Frank Reynolds, one and the same. Everybody knows. All right, let's move on to the Big Ten, though. Let's talk some Big Ten football, because, Ben, this is our last Power 5 conference preview. We've almost made it through all of preview season. I got to tell you, I as much as I love looking ahead and I love previewing, I am really ready for these games to get here, because it's a, it's been a long summer, and this realignment stuff has put me over the edge, and I'm just ready to watch some football. I know. It's a lot of studying, almost. almost feels like I'm back in school, and I've got to relearn all these names of new people who are coming in. People have now transferred that I forget. Hey, you know, this guy's now on this team. It's a lot of coming back. I just want to see some action, some balls being thrown, some people being hit. Um, You know, it's great to go into all this and all the speculation and everything, but as we know, everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth, so... We say all this stuff, and then who knows what's actually going to happen. So I'm excited for that. Week zero, baby. It's coming up soon. Well, let's start with a team tonight that loves to punch people in the mouth. The Michigan Wolverines. That's their style. That's Jim Harbaugh's style. It seems like he will not be on the sideline for their first four games due to the whole thing that's been going on with the NCAA and him misleading investigators. And I don't really want to get into all of that right now because too much. I could go, that, that would take over our whole preview episode. I want to kind of stick to what's, what's going on on the field this season, but it seems likely that Harbaugh will not be on the sideline. However, he will be able to do everything else for those first four weeks. He just literally will not be on the sideline on game day. Which is going to be crucial because I don't know if you've peeped that schedule. Those first four games are pretty tough with Eastern Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, all at home too. So they don't even go anywhere. So it's not like he's going to be missing any practices. If they were away games, could he have traveled with the team? doesn't matter though. I don't even know. It's like such a ridiculous stretch of like, just powerhouse after powerhouse. Yeah, like it's like I'm sure that that was the happiest they were. All Michigan fans and Jim Harbaugh, like, yeah, sure, I'll take that all day long. That's the punishment. Sure, great. You know, we'll just beat all those teams. You know, forty-five to nothing, as opposed to sixty-three to nothing. So before we get into our key question about Michigan here, I do as we're talking about the schedule, I do want to ask you this. I mean, at some point, doesn't Michigan? have to improve this non-conference schedule because I mean they're at real risk if they lose a game in the regular season for being left out of the college football playoff much like would have happened last year when their non-conference was Colorado State Hawaii and UConn like it it was a I mean that's a really frankly an embarrassing non-conference schedule and this year's not much better with the three non-conference schools that you just mentioned I come on I mean we look at some of the other matchups around the country. LSU plays Florida State in week one. What's yeah. Michigan doing here? Uh, I mean, I'm sure part of it is the whole how long does it take to schedule football games these days. Um, and you got to do it a couple years out, and maybe Jim Harbaugh still thought that BCS was a normal thing and you had to go undefeated and you couldn't lose um, top two teams. But, hey, UConn, you know, that's a future Big 12 team there, so that's, that's a P5 non-conference player right there. Um, they do step up the schedule in future years. Next year, they have Texas. 
the year after that, they go to Oklahoma. Uh, they have a home, home and home with Oklahoma in 25-26, and then they play Texas again in 27. They were supposed to have a non-conference game with Washington in 2028, which I guess will now be a conference game. And oh, then finally, go. Notre Dame back on the schedule in 2033 and 2034. That used to be one of my favorite games. Denard Robinson just running all over Notre Dame year after year. Ah, it was fun. One of the best rivalries in the sport. Yeah. And they just took it away because of stupid reasons. And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll maybe put you back on the schedule in 12 years. Like, that's why I hate non-conference scheduling in football. And I just love it so much more in basketball. Because, okay, you want to play this year? Great. All right, let's get on the schedule. So, Yeah, and we also saw during COVID, it's not that hard to make it happen. You can make a game happen who was who was it byu in coastal carolina yeah that played on like four days notice exactly it's like so can't do it in the off season but you can do it the week of like it's absurd it's just stuck in their old ways of annoyance but yeah that's nuts but i am glad to see i am glad to see notre dame back on that michigan schedule that'll be good i know they had this series with ucla scheduled and i think that game was going to be last year and they ended up not playing it for some reason they bought UCLA out of the series I can't remember all the details why of why but the last two years the non-conference schedule has not been tough at all and I am worried for Michigan because this year is college ball playoff national championship or bust for them in my opinion whether if they take a loss that could end up being that soft non-con schedule could end up being what keeps them out of the college ball playoff. So let's start off with our three downs, Ben, and first down will be Michigan. My question for you here, what does Michigan State need to do to take that next step? They've been to the college ball playoff two years in a row. They've beaten Ohio State two years in a row. They've won the Big Ten two years in a row. But both years, they have failed to reach the national championship game, losing in the college ball playoff semifinal. How do they take that next step? What do they need to do? Uh, Apparently, it's have that beat Georgia drill now, along with that beat Ohio drill that they have. So I just think, obviously, their defense is there. I think what they have lacked is, you know, they have very good fundamentals. You know, they have a great offensive line. They've had solid quarterback play. Best difference, they've had solid quarterback play. J.J. McCarthy was great last year. I think he was second in the Big Ten, only behind C.J. Stroud, who was pretty good in the quarterback rating. But I think another year with him, and if you can get a fully healthy Blake Corum to get kind of more explosive plays, bigger chunk plays, as opposed to just kind of plodding down the field, and Donovan Edwards as well. I mean, he averaged over seven yards per carry last year. So I think it's kind of that. And now they have the mentality. Like the first year, like, oh, you can say, oh, it's their first time there. Last year, you go and you lose to TCU, which is kind of funny because maybe that was a little bit of looking ahead and discounting what TCU could do because obviously TCU then got blown out by Georgia. So I think this is the year that they maybe can make a national championship game. I mean, they return a lot of really key pieces. They get another year of J.J. McCarthy. Harbaugh wants it. They've got the mentality of, you know, kind of championship or bust with this whole beat Georgia drill. So anything could happen, but I'm, I'm running pretty high on these Wolverines. Like they're pretty good. I think the last two years, what's happened is two years ago, they ran into a juggernaut in Georgia. 
and what they tried to do to Georgia is the way you absolutely 100% will not beat Georgia, that Georgia team anyway, and that was try to beat them on the lines of scrimmage, was try to run the ball down their throat, and Georgia was built perfectly to stop that, and quite frankly, Michigan just didn't have the weapons to try to go over the top on them, to try to throw on them, which is what Alabama did pretty successfully on that Georgia team yep. in the SEC championship game that they won. So Michigan was just not equipped to do it, and they didn't seem interested in trying to to find the way to, to beat Georgia. They seemed more interested in trying to to play their style and beat Georgia that way, which was just never going to work. Last year, I think you're right. I think they came into that game against TCU a little bit cocky, and they said, we're going to show them what Big Ten football is all about, that whole kind of thing. And you know what? TCU is a team that was underlooked all year. I really liked them all year, and they proved everybody wrong all year. Having said that, that game was a little bit fluky, and Michigan came storming back. They made it close. Yep. I thought once they kind of took the took the guardrails off of J.J. McCarthy and let him make plays outside of the pocket, let him improvise, I thought I saw something I really liked out of that offense. And I'm hoping this year they can they, they will take the guardrails off of him and let him have a little more freedom. Let him be a little more creative. Let him make plays when things break down. And we also saw him hit some of those long, deep shots in the in the Ohio State game to end the year. I think that this last year, this team had such a great offensive line, such a great running such attack. Such a good offensive line. The best part about their offensive line to me is that they were number one in the country by far when the defense was expecting to run. So it's like, yeah, we're going to run, and you can't stop it. And that's just what khaki-wearing, milk-drinking Jim Harbaugh loves. And that's what they tried to do to Georgia two years ago and just couldn't do it. But against 95% of the teams that they play, they can. And that's why I would have loved to see a, a little bit more of a challenge on that non-conference schedule because I think it will only help them as they get into the Penn State game, as they get into the Ohio State game, as they get into potentially a Big Ten title game and college ball playoff if they have some of those challenges where they have to throw the ball, where they have to, they can't just line up and run it down your throat because that's kind of the, uh, the different level that they're at now. They are so much better than the rest of the Big Ten, but they are not so much better than the Georgias, the Alabamas, the you know top, top tier competition of the world. So this year, I think to take that next step, they need to let J.J. McCarthy be a little more free he needs to also take another step up and, you know, make sure that if they do trust him in those situations, that it's for good reason, that he's making plays, he's not turning the ball over. I think he is only going to get better and better. I really liked what I saw from him last year. And, I mean, he was young. He can he, he can continue to improve and get better. The other thing I think were, if there's a, a single question I have about Michigan this year it's their receivers because they lose their top receiver, Ronnie Bell, from last year. And I wasn't imp super impressed with their receiving core all year long. If you look at PFF's wide receiver grades in the Big Ten for regular season games, I, I kind of filtered it here to uh, receivers that got at least 20 targets. Ronnie Bell was the only one who was in the top 10 as far as PFF's uh, receiving grade in the Big Ten, just top 10 in the Big Ten. 
the, some of the other receivers that they return that they're going to need to step up majorly this year is Roman Wilson, who was number 17 in the Big Ten, and then Cornelius Johnson, who was down at number 34. Cornelius Johnson, definitely a big play threat. I think he was around 16 yards per reception last year. Um, so he's a guy that I think has a lot of potential there. Uh, yeah, he was number four in all of the Big Ten in yards per reception. So definitely a big play threat. And I think he's one of the guys who hit a couple of those big plays versus Ohio State. But they need them to step up. I think that's going to be one of the keys for me this season for them. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, is Roman Wilson also averaged 15 yards per catch. So I kind of feel like they benefit a little bit from the, hey, you're expecting Michigan to run the ball, maybe they'll play action surprise for a big chunk. What scares me the most outside of that wide receiver, which I think, you know, when you have a good quarterback, he can elevate the guys around him. And I think JJ McCarthy will do that. It's kind of the opposite of what I think could happen at Ohio state with having such good skill players. They can elevate the quarterback over there. This schedule is the most backloaded schedule I have seen in all these previews. And to just go through, like, obviously the four we talked about, East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, at Nebraska, who has been a little bit of a pushover. I know you got first-year coach and Matt Rule, but still. Minnesota, who hasn't kind of been what they were, the last, you know, what, two, three years ago. Indiana. And then their first big test might be at Michigan State. But I'm also kind of down on Michigan State this year. And then you have Purdue, but then you end up with at Penn State, which is going to be if Penn State is anywhere near in contention of the Big East uh, or excuse me, Big Ten East, that's going to be a rocking game at Maryland. You know, we're Maryland guys. That so could be pretty sneaky. And then Ohio State. It scares me that those seem easy games and maybe they do slip up at Michigan State or they get too cocky, kind of like they did before that TCU where they haven't had to play under pressure. They've just run the ball or they've gotten the big leads and they can do it. Just like not having that game experience. I know JJ McCarthy had it last year, but having it a year ago is a little bit different than having it in recent memory. Um, That's going to be the interesting thing to me is, are they just going to be undefeated until they roll into college station on November 11th and, get punched in the mouth as we like to say so far on this podcast and not kind of take a step back kind of like that TCU game. I don't know. That would be interesting to see. I wish they had someone earlier in the year that gave them a little bit more of a struggle and who knows, maybe Nebraska turns it around and Matt rules first year. PJ Fleck has his guys going and they face, they have to come back against some of those games, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. You know, they could be like number two in the country, maybe number one and have all the confidence in the world and just see a slip up coming. Now, I'm I'm 100 percent there with you, Ben. And unfortunately, they are not going to College Station, because if they were, that would mean that they were actually playing somebody in their their non-conference. They'd be playing Texas A&M. They're going to State College. They're going to Happy Valley. I know there's a lot of a lot of uh, campuses with the name College, a lot of towns with college out there, College Park, College Station, State College. There's a lot going on out there. But if they were going to College Station, they'd actually play somebody in their non-conference. I just really I think this scheduling philosophy 
really does them a disservice. I'm I'm right there with you. And if I could ask Jim Harbaugh one question, I think that might be it. I, I, I think I would ask him, why did you choose to schedule this way? Because to me, if you are a national championship team, you got to challenge yourself throughout the season. You have to find ways to get better throughout the season. And I don't think just playing teams that you are so much more talented than is the way to improve your football team and get better throughout the season. If you remember the year Georgia won that national championship, their first national championship since the eighties, they opened the year with Clemson in Charlotte. Yeah. That's the kind of schedule you got to put together if you want to get better. That's the kind of schedule you put together when you know that your goals go beyond just winning 10 games or winning one rivalry game. It's about winning a national championship. And I, the more I look at this schedule, I don't think it's the reason that they don't get where they want to go, but it might be part of it if they end up falling short. Yeah, and oh, that springs up bad memories. I remember that Georgia-Clemson game so much because I kept live betting it because I was like, oh, Clemson's going to come back. Georgia always falls on their face and because obviously they hadn't won the national championship yet. And I uh, just kept digging myself further and further in a hole and just, yeah, that was... But yeah, look at that confidence. Like we say confidence, but in a different term of, you know, we've been in that big game. We've faced that upper-level competition and we won. The other thing, too, that scares me about Michigan state or Michigan, not Michigan state is the state of their defensive line. And they're kind of rebuilding the pass for us again. I'm curious to see about Chris Jenkins because he's been dubbed the mutant, uh, six, three, 300 pounds. And he's, you know, all their offensive line is talking him up and he's got unbridled enthusiasm on another level. So it'll be interesting to see if they can have someone step up because they were not very good. I think they only had, both their edge rushers last year only averaged 12 or not average combined 12 sacks or before that with Aiden Hutchinson, it was like 25. So I do think to go to the next level, you have to pressure the quarterback when you're playing the elite Georgia, Alabama, LSU's of the world. So hopefully he can step it up and uh, maybe Jim Harbaugh can finally get to drink some milk out of that trophy, which is not a cup, but he'll make it one. Yeah. It's a good point on the line, Ben, because if you look around the big 10, I mean, if you look at their their teams that are their two biggest competitors, Ohio State and Penn State, you'd rather have JT Tuimoalau from Ohio State on the line than anybody at Michigan, I think, right yep. now. And you'd probably rather have Chop Robinson from Penn State, yep. edge rusher as well, the transfer from Maryland, who is looking like he's going to be a pretty high NFL draft pick here in the next year or so. Um I think you'd rather have those two guys than anybody that Michigan has to offer. So I think that's a good call out as well. I still really like this Michigan team. I feel like we're picking nits a little bit right now. So we'll kind of leave it at that with Michigan. But I think those are, you're right. I think that's something to watch as the season progresses. And then I think it's JJ McCarthy and the receiving core, because you know, the running game is going to be there with that offensive line with Blake Corum, with Donovan Edwards. It's a great one, two punch. You know, the running game is going to be there. I think it comes down to, how much they let J.J. McCarthy do, whether he can take that step forward, and whether the, that receiving duo can find a little bit more consistency in addition to hitting some of those big plays. So those are going to be some of the things that I'm looking for with Michigan this year. So let's move on to our second down and talk about those two biggest competitors, Penn State and Ohio State, because I think this Big Ten East Division race 
with Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State may be the most intriguing storyline in all of college football this season. I think you have three teams that are very clearly top 10 teams, and they're going to be battling it out. And as you mentioned, the way that schedule sets up, especially for Michigan, the last three weeks of the season are going to be insane. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that all three of these teams could split and go 11-1 and with the only loss being against each other. But Penn State and Ohio State do have a big question, a similar question. Now, Ohio State loses, uh, uh, not Justin Fields, I almost said Justin Fields. They lose C.J. Stroud to the NFL. And C.J. Stroud was, to me, maybe the most underrated, underappreciated quarterback in all of college football last year, especially by his own fan base at times, because he's a guy who lost to Michigan two times, and that's unacceptable there. And I I was always super impressed with just the way he owned that, and he owned the fact that he knew you know, his legacy wasn't going to be what it might have been because he lost those games. But I love C.J. Stroud. I would have drafted him. I like I, I was when we were talking about draft discussions this spring, I just kept thinking, like, why are they not talking more about C.J. Stroud? And I think I, I was very happy for him that he went number two overall there. or Yeah, number two overall. I think he deserved to go as high as he did. And I was going to really not understand why Anthony Richardson, for example, would go ahead of C.J. Stroud. So they lose C.J. Stroud, a guy who has been great, and they you know, as Ohio State does, they have a lot of highly touted guys behind him. They had Kyle McCord. They have Devin Brown. Those are the two main guys battling it out for the job, but they will have a new quarterback. On the Penn State side, it's not quite the same thing because they also lose a quarterback in Sean Clifford, but it's a guy who had been there forever and was maybe not the most appreciated by the fan base. He, I think a lot of people view Sean Clifford as a replacement level quarterback, to be frank. So not exactly the same thing that each of these schools are losing, but they both lose quarterbacks and they will both be replacing quarterbacks. At Penn State, it's Drew Aller, really highly rated, what is he, a sophomore now? Yeah, I think he was a freshman last year. He saw a little bit of action in that Purdue game week one. So they have Drew Aller and a lot of people view that as a positive, like it could be a step up from Sean Clifford. But both of these teams replace quarterbacks. So Ben, how well do you think Penn State and Ohio State will be able to integrate these new quarterbacks this year? So I think with Ohio State, it's easy. I mean, how many changes have they had over the last 12 years where it's, all right, new quarterback, and it's just, up oh, another Heisman contender. I mean, you go as far back as the Cardell Jones, JT Barrett. You've got the Justin Fields. You've got the... Um, Dwayne Haskins. CJ Stress. Dwayne Haskins. Like all these people that just went there one year, two years, just did really well. Ohio State just knows how to develop quarterbacks. And Brian Day has been freaking really good at saying, all right, here's the system, learn it. Like you said, CJ Stroud was, if you just look at the statistics of CJ Stroud last year, they're unbelievable. And you've very well finished, as you should have, second Heisman voting. And because he's just really darn good and he was underappreciated. And the fact that they now maybe have the best skill players of any team in college football, definitely the best wide receiver room in college football right now. It's going to make that really easy for whoever wins between Devin Brown and Kyle McCord. I mean, who are both what 
four star, five star recruits. They're, I know they're blue chip recruits, so they've obviously got some talent. And I know they're they haven't, I think, made that announcement yet, which one of the two are gonna do it, but they're clearly doing both doing well enough where if one doesn't work, maybe the other one will. And then I don't know, Penn State's a little bit different. Uh I feel like they've always had kind of that mediocre but not great quarterback. So James Franklin has done a really good job overall of what he's done at Penn State, but he's never really had that superstar quarterback. And it's just kind of, I mean, not to say poo-poo or, oh, woe is me, I'm Penn State, but there's no team more happier with all this alignment and division list than Penn state is for the record they've had against other teams. I think in like the last six seasons, if you take out COVID, they have like a ridiculous like 21 and three against big 10 East. That's not Ohio state, Michigan, 21 and four non-conference play 15 and three against uh big 10 West teams. And yet they've got nothing to show for it because they play in that same division. So I just don't think that was a little rant kind of got sidetracked from the uh, quarterback thing, but I don't know. I think Drew Aller will be good. I mean, he's got a great team around him, so I think it will be easier for him to succeed, but I just, I'm not concerned one iota of Devin Brown or Kyle McCord going into OSU, you know, putting up a big year, being a top two quarterback in the big 10. Just that's how good I feel about that system. And wide receivers. <laughs> right. the Easily the best wide receiving room in the country. It's kind of weird here, Ben, because I feel like both of these teams have so much around these whoever wins these quarterback jobs. Well, we know it's going to be Aller, and we think it's going to be McCord. Um, it's hard to tell right now, but all indications are that it's going to be McCord. Uh, but either way, I think both teams are set up for kind of different reasons. With Penn State, it's they finally have a good offensive line again. It feels like it's been years and years and years, and they have such a good running game. Talk about uh, a monster duo with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. That's a that's a duo that rivals Michigan and, and their duo. I think those are a couple of the top running back duos in the country right here in the same division. And then with Ohio State, you mentioned it, it's the wide receiver room. I think... You know, it's so hard with these guys that we haven't seen because you can watch all the high school tape you want. You can look at the recruiting rankings, but until you step on the field and until you step on the field for an extended period of time, it's hard to really be sure because, yeah, we saw Aller come in in that one game against Purdue and he made a couple big throws and he looked pretty good. DJU looked really good for an entire game against exactly Notre Dame. Who I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, it was like, so going into that year, I was like, okay, yeah, pencil DJU in. He is the next great Clemson quarterback in a long line of great Clemson quarterbacks. And it was not to be the case. So it's just so hard to tell with some of these guys. However, I talked about, you know, Brock Bowers being the ultimate security blanket for whoever wins the quarterback job at Georgia. That's Marvin Harrison at Ohio State. That's the running back duo at, at Penn State for Drew Aller. I think both of these teams are are so strong around these quarterbacks that you got to think they find a way to be successful. I mean, Ryan Day's track record, you can't argue with. I think at this point, these three teams, 
Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan have separated themselves so far above the rest of the Big Ten from just a talent perspective that it's like they're playing their own division in their own division. They're playing in their own league, and everybody else is just kind of there. I don't see any challengers to these three teams in the rest of the Big Ten. We didn't even really talk about Penn State's defense. I think Penn State's going to have an excellent defense. We did talk about Chop Robinson a little bit already. For Ohio State, you know, that's got to be part of the question, right? We talked about a little bit JT Tuamolao. La- uh, I mean, it's not that hard. I'll get it eventually. But they bring him back. He had that all-world game against Penn State last year. But as a whole, you know, the thing you're going to remember ultimately about that defense was all the big plays they gave up deep against Michigan, which was a problem for them all season long. And it reared its ugly head at the worst time. And then against Georgia, they gave up a ton of points. I mean, how many points did Georgia score in that game? Was it 40-some points, right? Yeah, the schedule here. Yeah, 42-41. You know, there was a lot of points scored in that game. And, you know, to some extent, I do think in modern day college football, good offense is just going to be good defense. The offenses have the advantage. And I'd, I'd rather have a if, if it's elite versus elite, I'd rather have an elite offense versus that uh, against that elite defense. Like if you ask me to take 100%. 2019 LSU versus 2021 Georgia, I'd take 2019 LSU because I think offense beats defense right now. Just the way the game is set up. Having said that. Ohio State has to find a way to get stops at big moments to not let up that big play against the really good teams on their schedule. They have a Penn State at home this year, and they go to the big house. I mean, Ben, I, can you can you imagine the conversation if Ohio State is eleven and zero and they lose that game to Michigan in the big house? So the so if they do do that, that means that Ryan Day will be fifty six and seven in his tenure at Ohio State, fifty six and seven, and you're talking about firing the guy, which is funny because you would think being an Ohio State fan and watching how Michigan with Jim Harbaugh lost so many times, and then what could he's doing to you now if you just give him you know more time or bad stretch like. It's just that conversation is going to be full of insane people. And it will 100% happen. Like, there will be, I could only imagine the message boards on all the Ohio State sites. Like, it would be filled with insane people. Probably a lot of comedic writings, I'm sure, of just how it's. Because the funny thing is, too, like, even last year, they got into the college football playoff. And they lost to Michigan. So they, they could still do that again, depending on how the year shakes out. And then you're like, yeah, you're firing this guy. And great. Like, it's just, it's hilarious. It's one of my favorite things of all. For all intents and purposes, they played in the national championship game last year. And they came up a, a one field goal short of winning that game, right? I mean, that that was the national championship game. It was very clear whoever won that game was going to win the national championship and was the best team in the country. They're so close. They are so close, but they have to do something to win that game. You know, in anything, it's kind of a weird analogy, but in anything, like I don't like to make the same mistake twice. So if you're shooting a basketball, right, and you miss short two times, if I'm shooting that third time, like this third one has to go long. 
right? And this year, they cannot get beat over the top by Michigan. If they get beat over the top by Michigan, it's just like people are going to lose their minds. Yeah, it's like you that I mean that would make some sense if they lost the same exact way is you just you kept getting beat over the top and that's you know that can be a scheme thing not just a you know team thing and the thing is I don't really know if they even bring in that much I mean I know they bring in the was it the safety from Syracuse who was pretty good and they have a well a, a returning or no a five-star coming in so like they just need some of those people to get better and to plan better but i guess i don't know it's hard when you got i guess it's hard like you said good offense beats good defense and but i don't know it was but i think it, what it kind of comes down to for them in that game is they have to be able to stop. They have to just be able to go man on man and stop the run. They can't be having to rely on bringing an extra guy in the box and leaving you know space available to get beat deep over the top. They can't have to bring a safety down to stop the run. And that's what makes Michigan such a challenge is that they can run the ball so well. And if McCarthy finds that extra level and those receivers find that consistency, then it's like, what do you do? They're almost unbeatable because either if if you go with a light box, they're going to run the ball down your throat. And if you go with the heavy box and you bring a safety down, they're going to beat you over the top. So that's what I think makes Michigan such a challenge. But I, it's, you know, it's not being Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator. That's not a position I envy by any stretch of the imagination no. right now. Because, you know, if they do get lit up again and if Ryan Day survives which he in all accounts should survive you know that's the place that he's going to look to go make a change is that defensive coordinator position now with you know so many i mean look at penn state didn't they brought in manny diaz like he made a good defense even better meant like there's all those coaches out there now since everyone has a short leash with you know hey this this guy was a great coordinator went to go be a head coach maybe that didn't pan out go bring them back in to be another great coordinator and then go, you know, be another head coach. Um, it's a funny cycle these days, but I think that's, you know, where they have to look if that happens again this year is. Well, and the thing is Jim Knowles was just brought in to be the answer. He was just brought in to be the answer to that problem after uh, they, they got torched last and the, the year before in that Michigan game. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I you got to give the guy a little bit of time, but Ohio State is a it's a national championship or bust program, and they're so accustomed to just beating Michigan year in and year out that 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 conversation is going to be a scary one if they don't win that game. It's going to be interesting to watch. I, you know, the team on their schedule that might give them the best preview, if you will, of Michigan is Wisconsin going to Camp Randall on October 28th with some of the changes they've made. Now they're more of a uh, 
they're going to throw the ball a little bit more, but they're still going to have a great offensive line and a great running attack. They bring they bring back Braylon Allen. He's a fantastic running back. They're still Wisconsin. They're always stocked with offensive linemen. But now with Phil Longo as offensive coordinator, they're going to run up tempo. He runs a variation of the air raid, although a more balanced version of the air raid. So maybe that's the maybe that's a little test for them and something that we can look for as the season goes on to see like, okay, how did they handle that game, especially the week after? after hosting Penn State. That'll be an interesting one to see coming off a big game, how they handle Wisconsin, I suspect, because I've been saying it for the last 40 minutes, they handle it fine because they're just so much better and so much more talented than everybody else in this league other than Penn State and Michigan. But, you know, if we're looking for clues throughout the season, that might be one to watch. See, I have another one scheduled at Notre Dame. You've got basically Michigan light at Notre Dame to an extent, you know, Freeman has really touted the his program is O-line and D-line driven, and they were really strong in the running game last year. And then they have Sam Hartman this year. I know we haven't previewed Notre Dame this year, but they're... Yeah, I did. They haven't, I previewed Notre Dame. Well, yeah, yeah I didn't. Thanks for but, listening um, to your own show. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but they have a pretty good defense. Obviously not on Michigan's level, but I it just goes again, once again, Ohio State's going to have those battle scars from these games and it's just going to be very interesting to see i know i'm a little bullish or yeah a little bullish on Notre dame this year so i I think it'll be a very good game but uh yeah i think that'll be a a good indicator of whether that defense is ready to take on michigan or offense when that game comes to kick off but uh it will think how does ohio state get the best quarterbacks ever for college level. Like, do you think about like Joe Burrow was in that quarterback room at one point. Quinn Ewers was in that quarterback room at one point. And then they've had all the talent that they've had with the CJ Strouds and Justin Fields of the world. So it's just, it's impressive. Yeah. Well, I think it's a cycle that kind of, it kind of builds on itself, right? Because it's, it's Ohio state. And then wherever Lincoln Riley is pretty much gets the best quarterbacks at this point. But I think it's just something that builds on itself much like the receiver talent that they, they brought in. And I wish I had this stat in front of me. I don't, I'm going to try to look it up real quick here, but Ohio state essentially year after year brings in the best wide receiver in the country, whoever that whoever that is. And I, I think it's all one of these things that that builds on itself. And unfortunately, I can't find this stat here, but it, it's something ridiculous. Like Ohio State is bringing in a top three to five receiver basically every single year. And I think when you bring in talent, it just helps you get more talent. You bring in great receivers, then you, it, quarterbacks want to play with them. You put a quarterback in the NFL, they're like, more quarterbacks want to come more receivers want to come. It just builds and builds and builds. It's just a perpetual kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Then when you add in the fact that Ohio State's one of the most prestigious historical college football teams in the country, they have a passionate fan base. They can provide NIL opportunities. They have top-notch facilities. They care about football. You add all of it together, and uh, it's just a great combination. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how it happens, I think. On, on the Notre Dame thing, Ben, I do want to mention this because when I – so I had Kyle Kelly from uh, On Three's Notre Dame affiliate on the show to preview Notre Dame, and I asked him, if Notre Dame is going to make surprise everybody and make the college ball playoff, what is going to happen? 
And what he said is Sam Hartman's going to be a Heisman finalist. That's the thing that would, you know, put them over the top and help get them where they want to go. I saw on 24-7 Sports today, they did a ranking of the top receivers in the country, or the top quarterbacks in the country, rather. And, and Sam Hartman was number three. He was number three on that list. I think it was Caleb Williams, Drake May, and then, and then Sam Hartman. So, wow. you know. Maybe that is maybe that is a game to watch out for. That game was a lot closer than I think we thought it was going to be, or a lot of people thought it was going to be on opening weekend last year. Notre Dame has a good running game with Audric Estime. Uh, they're you know like you mentioned, solid on the lines. I don't know. They're a little similar to Michigan, where I'm not quite sure about their receiving threats honestly, and uh, they lose their great tight end from last year. So we'll see. That that will be a good game to watch though. So that's that's the top three. Man, those top three, I think, are just head and shoulders above everybody else. But there are a couple teams that have made recent coaching changes that are trying to get to that top three level. A couple really proud teams, proud schools in Nebraska, hiring Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, going to Wisconsin, and then Ryan Walters taking the head job at Purdue after Jeff Brom goes home to Louisville after leading the Boilermakers to the West Division Championship last year. Those are the three new head coaches in the league. Do you think any of them have immediate success in year one, Ben? I want to believe that they can, but I really don't think they'll. So the one that I do is best set up is Luke Fickle. Um, I mean, obviously he walks into the best job of all three. You know, and then he goes and makes a phenomenal hire in getting Phil Longo. I want to say Lungo, but it's probably Longo. Just Longo. It's spelled that way, but I want to say Lungo. Um, good job, dude. And he's going to fight your and, instincts. It's good. It's fight, just fight your instincts. You get it right. And the big thing <laughs> that I think is going to help him, and this may be, you know, sacrilege to Wisconsin fans, or maybe they agree with me, is that Graham Mertz is no longer there. I feel like he held them back year over year. And it was always like, oh, yeah, this is the year Graham Mertz gets us over the hump. This is the year that Graham Mertz gets us over the hump. Because they've always, you know, typically had very strong defenses, good offensive lines, good running games. I mean, they've had some pretty good guys come through, uh, Jonathan Taylor, anyone. Um, And then now they get Tanner Mordecai. So also super fun name to say. I think he'll do really well in the long go system. It's going to be not your dad's wisconsin here they're going to air it out a little bit more so i do think that fickle set up he's had some good turnarounds obviously with uh the way that he did at cincinnati um obviously they were kind of a you know stronger program when he inherited it but not the strongest and then he kind of took it to the next level so i think the way that the schedule shanks out that they could have a really good year and potentially win the west i think i was going to be kind of a thorn in their side to getting that crown, but I do think it'll be much better than last year. I think he's the one that is best set to, Hey, this is what we did last year. We're going to be better than that next or this coming year. Whereas Walters, you know, Purdue is Purdue. They lose a lot. It's kind of a tough situation to walk into. And then you've got, um, excuse me. Oh, Nebraska blanking up rule. Yeah. And I think he will clean up the mess at Nebraska. I think it'll take some time, though. I think if you look at what he did when he was at Temple and Baylor, they were pretty bad in their first couple of years, and it took him a few years to get what he wanted on the field, in the locker room, 
to come all together. Obviously, transfer helps a little bit more now than it did for those programs, but I just don't see them. Spoiler alert, best bets. I have the under on them this year just because I think their schedule is kind of tough and they have a lot of toss-up games that I'm not sure first-year coach, quarterback, coordinator all in one. Not my favorite scenario, but uh, yeah, Luke Fickle all the way here. Yeah, I'm with you. Of those three, I think he has the best chance of success in year one. I'm really, really bullish on both Rule and Fickle and what they can do at those two programs going forward. I love the Phil Longo hire at Wisconsin, and I'm really curious to see if they can run some type of like power power up-tempo attack because Wisconsin has the personnel to run power, but they have this spread up-tempo offensive coordinator. So I, I, I bet there's some cool wrinkles that he can do with that. And he's a guy that you know has shown a willingness to run the ball at times too. So I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that all plays out. I'm maybe not sold that it's going to work 100% immediately. I think that's a, a tough ask. But I think he has the best odds of success in year one. Although I like what Rule... Rule is a guy who has been successful everywhere. He's inherited a lot of bad situations, tough situations. You know, none more difficult than inheriting that Baylor situation after the off-the-field uh, scandal, the sexual assault scandal at Baylor under Art Bryles there. So... um He's just a guy who I think is is a really good fit for Nebraska, even if year one doesn't go necessarily as expected. Let's pick up the pace a little bit here, Ben, and go through our bull and the bear. I'll kick us off with somebody I'm really bullish on, and that's Eric All, the tight end at Iowa, transferring in from Michigan. He's a guy that had a really nice season a couple years ago in 2021. He's reunited with his teammate Cade McNamara at quarterback, and he's going to a place where they do nothing but develop tight ends. Uh, George Kittle comes to mind. Dallas Clark comes to mind. There's more, but that's what Iowa does. They develop tight ends, and uh, I think Eric All is going to be the next great tight end in a long line of Iowa tight ends. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. That is basically tight end you over there in Iowa, and mine's going to tie in with that. I am bullish on Iowa as a whole to kind of go over the edge and win the big West crown this year. And the last year of its ex- big 10 West crown, I just don't want to add the 10. It's the big, I'm saying big with the one in it. So it's the big cr- West crown. Um, their offense can't really get any worse. I think it was like 118th in S and P last year, which is pretty bad. So I'm betting on that Cade McNamara and Eric all combination to get better, you know, don't even, you don't have to be, you know, top 50, just get, you may be around 50, 60 and their defense may not be as stout as it was last year, but they've averaged a top 10 defense over the last decade. So they return a lot of good players. Um, they still have, um, uh, they did lose Jack Campbell. It's the one guy that I did want to mention and Buckus winner last year. But what I did want to say is they have the most important piece of the puzzle. They have a great punter and Tory Taylor. He's back. Kid's got a leg, uh, you know, classic Australian punter. Love it. So I am very excited to see if the sun Brian friends can reach his bonus uh, of 300 or averaging 25 points per offensive Hold on game. there, Ben. Hmm. It's not a bonus. It's a it's a threat. It's a mandate. 
If he does not reach that, he's fired. He doesn't have a job. But if he does, he gets a big bonus, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I yeah, guess it's a little bit of a bonus. Also you get to keep it's a bit of a your... bonus, but it's a, it's more of a mandate than a than a bonus clause. Yeah, so it's a little bit of this and that. Either way, it's what I think is going to happen is they're going to be just above that twenty five point average for the first you know twelve games, and then they're going to get blown out by Michigan and lose the score zero or seven points and go right under 25. And to be fair, that could be the best thing that happens to Iowa is getting Brian friends out of there and maybe getting a more you know proficient offensive corner in there for how good their defense has been over the last couple of uh, decade, really. I mean, I think they're six or better in four straight years in S and P. So that's uh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. I feel like, if Brian and it's got to correct you here, Ference, not Ference. Ference. I better. feel like if Brian Ference, you know, if, if this Iowa offense doesn't meet that goal, they have a bad season, and he's no longer going to be all, the offensive coordinator. I, I really do wonder if Kirk steps down, if his dad, the head coach, has been there for a long time. I, I truly wonder if he just decides, you know what, that's enough. I I want to do it my way. And uh, if he just steps down, which, you know, in some ways would really be a shame because I think Kirk Ferentz is a very good head coach. He has built a very consistent winning program there, but it could be it. They are so close. They have been so close to just taking that extra step. And if he ever did something like Luke Fickle just did with hiring Phil Longo and, you know, just taking a chance to, to modernize the offense a little bit and it doesn't help that it's his son I mean it just makes it too easy for people to criticize and say that you know it's it is nepotism and it's I I truly do wonder though if if things don't go well and it's the end for Brian if it's also the end for Kirk at Iowa so here's a weird scenario for you they could probably average under 25 points a game and still win the Big Ten West if you look at last year, they lost Illinois nine to six. They lost to Nebraska twenty-four to seventeen. So and they lost to Iowa State ten to seven. So they could score a couple more touchdowns in those games. You're still probably not gonna average twenty-five points, but you have you're probably in the Big Ten championship game. So what happens if they make it to the Big Ten championship game and they don't average twenty-four points like that's, I feel like they just put them in a weird spot if that does happen. So, you know, I hope that he scores over 25, but uh, just for, because I think they're going to have a good year and that'd just be a very awkward situation to be like, well, you didn't make it, but we did have a really good year. So uh, it's kind of weird. Yeah, if you flip, if they had beaten, so they lost to Iowa State 10 to 7, let's say they win that game 14 to 10. And then they lost to Illinois nine to six. Let's say they win that game thirteen to nine. I mean, they still that would not put them above the average. And then they'd still they'd they'd have been nine and three in the regular season. Yeah, that's it's a ridiculous. very interesting scenario. It's a super interesting scenario, man. I don't know. It's that's going to be one to watch. That's that truthfully, that's part of the reason why I'm hesitant to go in on Iowa like that is there's going to be a lot of stuff swirling around them. I mean, the local media, the fan base, is all over them right now with good reason. 
wanting answers on to on why this offense is so bad. And I, I just feel like there is going to be a lot of pressure around that team, around that offense. You hear nothing but good things about Cade McNamara and what he's done. He's a guy who has been the quarterback on a Big Ten championship winning team. He has experience. He has some talent. You would think it gets better, but it's still, I, I think it's going to be a pressure cooker in Iowa I, City. I honestly think the only way it gets better is if Cade McNamara is the answer. Because according to Brian Friends, the only thing they're going to do is we're going to do the same thing we do. We're just going to do them better. So he's got no scheme changes, nothing up his sleeve. They're just going to do it better. And so for everyone's sake, hopefully that Cade McNamara, which he is, I think, you know, a step up from Spencer Petrus. Um, so I do think he will be help them there, whether he helps them to 25 points per game. Hopefully, I mean... You have to hope is who's their first game. Hopefully in like Utah State, they just win like he gets a 50 spot right away and it gets um, you know, a big chunk of the way to the average. So they'll take a little bit of the pressure off there. Yeah, we'll see. That's the team I'm excited to see for because, you know, it's uh, got a few bets on them. You'll hear about later. Shall be an interesting situation in Iowa City this season. Ben, for the Bear, we're going to kind of do this one jointly as we're both down on Michigan State. I put in the notes here, I'm bearish on Michigan State bouncing back. You just said you're bearish on Mel Tucker. I I don't like this team at all. I think they have not had a good secondary really since Mel Tucker's been there. I don't think it's going to be good this year. There are so many teams that can throw the ball uh, among that top three. They're nowhere close to that top three. Maryland can throw the ball too. Uh, I think they're going to be in for for pain this season again. They lose Peyton Thor in their quarterback, which in in and of itself is not maybe the biggest loss in the world, but then they lose their top receivers. They lose Keon Coleman, who transfers to Florida State. They lose Jaden Reed, who was a really good receiver for them. So I, I just don't like the direction that this program is heading, Ben. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty down on them. I would have them under five and a half. I would have them under five and a half on the season win total. That would be one of my best bets if it wasn't minus 150. And I'm just so sick of taking these minus 150 full season things. I, you know, I might still put it in there once we get there in a few minutes. I got to decide, but I really don't like them. I I don't see this team as a bowl team at all. No. And the crazy thing to me is Mel Tucker claims, obviously every year you claim things, but he's like, this is the best transfer class that I've ever seen. And I think well, is Kenneth it, Walker in that transfer class, because that was uh, a guy in his first transfer class. So yeah, that's what I was about to say. His, Walker in there. His first transfer class was like one of the highest rated transfer classes ever. Like, I think it's probably only second to the USC one that we saw last year. So unless, he's somehow right and this team just brought in all the magic that no one really knew about like obviously they bring in a lot of people but just look what he did last year i mean they went from a great 10 and 2 i think actually 11 and 2 if you consider the bowl game that they beat pit to a disaster last year they lost to indiana who was very bad last year um, they lost to Maryland, who, you know, we're pretty good, but no one really likes to lose to Maryland. So he got that big old contract, the 10 years, 95 million. And I don't know if he's kind of earned it yet. I mean, yeah, he had one great year. So I just think with the things that he's shown, what he showed last year, I mean, 
outside of that 2021 class, which was, you know, Kenneth Walker was a godsend and look what a beast he was in the NFL last year when he got to play. I don't know. I'm just questioning to see what he can do. And I'm all, I don't see with the schedule that they have, even though they got a FCS team and central Michigan in there, they also have Washington. They have obviously Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state. I just, you know, it, it'd be hard pressed for me to see that team getting to that six wins for bowl eligibility. So I'm with you there. I was just looking up some of the game of the year lines, looking for that Michigan state, Washington line. And I was hoping it would be, like Washington minus seven it's Washington minus 11 and a half uh, it's a little higher than I wanted it to be but I think Vegas is pretty spot on with this Michigan State team I think that they they see that they are not very good and uh, that's why they've priced that season win total at f- five and a half and ju- juiced minus 150 to the under and they have him as a 11 and a half point dog at home against Washington. I think Washington's going to throw all over them. I think it's just a matchup nightmare for Michigan State. So both of us are down on the Spartans going into this season. Ben, let's get into some of these bets. Uh, start with you. Let's go back and forth. You do one, I do one, and then we'll read Brian's at the end. All right. Number one I have is Nebraska. At under six and a half, I know it's the juice that we don't like. It's minus 140 as last I saw. I don't know. I, I do think, as we talked about, Matt Rule is a great long-term hire for this program. But the way that this schedule shakes out and how he has to turn it around so quickly to get to over like seven wins. I mean, if Nebraska got to seven wins, they would be ecstatic in my mind. Um, I can't even imag- remember the last time they've gotten to seven wins. It's got to be years. And the way that they that schedule shakes out is they get Michigan, which is never good, and they get um, I just get I think it's just Michigan that they get from the East. That's their brutal part. So you throw that in with at Wisconsin. At Michigan State, that may be one of Michigan State's wins. But I just don't see them getting to that seven wins. Um, I could see them getting to six, sure. And I think that would be a huge win. If they made bowl, that would be huge. But for them to go ahead and say, hey, we're going to get to six when they haven't even gotten to – or get to seven when they haven't gotten to five in the last five years, I just don't see Matt Rule having that big of an impact in one year. All right. For my first bet, and I'm pulling a real Ben here – I'm going all my bets on the same team. And, you know, these are all bets. At least this first one I know is one that we talked about way back in June, one of the first episodes that we did as a trio. And that's J.J. McCarthy to win the Heisman. I put this in on June 7th, and I got it at 30-1 to on J.J. McCarthy to win the Heisman. Unfortunately, looking at it now, the best I can find on J.J. McCarthy, I think, is 18 to 1. Obviously, I like it a lot better at 30 to 1. I still think there's some opportunity to, to play it at 18 to 1. I hate being the guy to be like, well, I got it at this. But we, we did call this out back a couple months ago, and, and that's the price I got it at. I mean, even at 18 to 1, you're looking at a guy that's who good has the same odds as Carson Beck, uh, who's never played a down at Georgia, who Brian has bet on to win the Heisman. That's no shade to Brian. That's just mm-hmm. the facts. Kyle McCord, who, again, at Ohio State, has has not played a snap. Bo Nix, who uh, I, I think that's somebody who, that's probably a good comparison 
for him that they kind of should be on the same level. And then you have Cade Klubnik at Clemson, who's 14 to one, which seems nuts to me. And then Quinn, give me a break with this Quinn yours at 12 to one. There is not a world. Oh my goodness, Ben. There is not a world where Quinn yours should be 12 to one and JJ McCarthy should be 18 to one to win the Heisman just based on the fact that Michigan is so much better than Texas. That That's a team yeah. award as much as it is an individual award and Michigan and Texas are not on the same level. So I got this at 30 to one. I, I, you know, I'd still play it at 18 to one. I really like JJ McCarthy. I really like this Michigan team. I think he gets better. I think this team goes undefeated. I think they win the big 10 and you're going to potentially have, have the best quarter or the quarterback of the nation's number one team. Typically that's a pretty good chance that players winning the Heisman. So give me JJ McCarthy to win the Heisman. I love it. It's like also crazy because I do think like even right now, like Drew Aller's twenty five to one. So you got better odds than Drew Aller has currently. So that's a phenomenal bet by you. Uh so I will also stick to a on the west side, and I'm gonna go with Iowa to go over eight and a half wins. So I think that the way this team is built you get the Caden McNamara juice you got that defense it's plus 100 right now um I, they're gonna have to win some big games but kind of right now the way that I see the schedule shake out is they're they're locked in for seven they're most likely gonna win eight and then they kind of have to win one of those bigger toss-ups I think that they can get to that 10 win mark if all goes well and Cade McNamara is the answer and they start scoring 25 points per game um I mean, they've got Utah State, Iowa State. I think they can win Western Michigan. Their tough games are going to be at Penn State, at Wisconsin. And, you know, you win one of those two and you are cruising to this. Even if you lose both, you can still cruise to this over eight and a half. So that's my play right there for you. Ben, when I looked at their schedule, I only had one game that I marked down as a as a guaranteed loss. And that was at Penn State. Yeah. I think everything else is either a win or a toss-up type game. So I see where you're going there. I debated it myself. I also debated them. Uh, another Iowa bet that you have down. Well, go ahead and share that one, too, while you're on Iowa. Also helps that Iowa gets Rutgers from the East, so that's always a, a nice little present to get. And, yeah, I also have Iowa to win the Big Ten West at plus 260. Um they're not even the favorite Wisconsin, I think is plus one thirty right now. So I think in plus you know, two and a half times odds and you know, you never know what's going to happen. I think Luke Folk is going to do great, but you know, that first year power five conference, hopefully, you know, I just see them having a shakier foundation than Iowa does when it's just, Hey, we know we have a good defense. We've got a good guy coming for quarterback. This is the year, you know, let's go out and do it. So that's uh, I got them in the title game to face either Maryland or Michigan. So, yeah, like you hunting for the odds there a little bit in a league that's just so close, a division that's so close. If you remember from last year, Purdue won the, that division at six and three, and then there was a three-way tie right behind them at five and four between Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota, and then Wisconsin was four and five. I think with two weeks or three weeks left in the season, basically everybody in that division was still 
in play for winning the division or by everybody. I mean like five of the seven teams. So it was, you know, it's, it's a really tight division. I don't think there's separation like I do in the East. And I, I like you hunting for a little bit of value there with Iowa. It's obviously a consistent program, always have a good defense and you're taking a bet that, that's what we're doing here. We're betting, right? And you're, you're making a bet that their offense is going to step up a little bit. So, yeah, I really like that play from you, Ben. And uh, I was very close to to stamping it myself. I am undecided on that. I'm not going to give the the stamp for today for right now. But when we do our gambling show in a few weeks, our full gambling show, I might add that one myself. But for now, uh, I'll let you take it. Okay, a couple other Michigan bets for me. I'm going to do on both at once here. Another Heisman bet. Blake Corum, I got him back when I did the the McCarthy bet. I also got Blake Corum at thirty to one. Now you can actually get him on fifty to at fifty to one on FanDuel, which is actually wildly different than some of the other books. So if you like Blake Corum, and I love Blake Corum, I know they have Donovan Edwards too, but Blake Corum is a guy who can carry a really heavy load. He put up great numbers last year. He's going to be over a thousand yard rusher. Um, he is. You know, it, it's kind of just making a bet on it, it, if my McCarthy bet is, do you want the quarterback on the best team in the country? It's for me, this is do you want the best player on potentially the best team in the country? Because I think Blake Corum is the is going to be the best player on that Michigan team. We already talked about how how much they love to play smash mouth football, to run the ball. That's their bread and butter. Trying to look at the stats last year, almost 1,500 yards. And he was basically rushing hurt last for year. Three of those 18 games. 18 touchdowns. Yeah, and he was hurt. He didn't play that. Did he? He didn't play that Ohio State game. Oh, he did. He played oh, yeah, with the two cast rushes. on his hand. Yeah, he yeah. played with the, I think he played with the cast on his hand in that game. He was, for all, all intents and purposes, not playing. So, Basically, he's a guy that's nearly a 1,500-yard rusher. I think he's the best player on that offense. And if you can get him at 50-1, to I say go ahead and snap that up in a second because on FanDuel, it's 50-1. to At Caesars, it's 30-1. to Points bet, 30-1. to And DraftKings, 28-1. to So really big value right now on FanDuel. Go and snap that up. And then my last bet here tonight is going to be Michigan to win the national title. I got them at 10 to 1 back in June. Looking at it now, it's uh, 8 plus 850, 8.5 to 1 on FanDuel is the best you can do here. I think it's absolutely nuts that Ohio State has better odds than them to win the national title. That makes no sense to me. Michigan's flipped the rivalry. They have absolutely flipped the rivalry, and now the burden on of proof is on Ohio State to show they can beat them. We have talked about Michigan a ton in this episode. I've shared all the reasons I like them. I'm making a bet on them that JJ McCarthy is going to take a step up. Their receivers are going to find a little bit more consistency and that they are going to be the same old Michigan in the trenches that they always are. And that's my bet. That's my bet on Michigan. I think Jim Harbaugh is a very good college football coach. You saw the way that he struggled for years to get over that hump with Ohio State. He has gotten over that hump. There's one more hump for them to get over. I think in a year where Georgia has quarterback questions, Alabama has quarterback questions, Ohio State has quarterback questions, I think everything is set for Michigan to be the team that wins it all this year. I got them at 10 to one. It's out there in eight and a half, eight and a half to one plus eight fifty. Give me the Wolverines to win it all. Ben, that's my first national championship. I've, I've put out there this year. I think 
I love it. Uh, I mean, just for all the reasons you said, and the only thing I can think of is Vegas must go off S and P to an extent. And I think bill only has them higher because of like the five year trend, which is just a flaw per se in that system. when you're looking at it on a yearly basis, like going into the year, um, I love it. I'm in, I will not stamp it either. Not yet. Uh, but I do love them as a, playoff national contender team and and real quick too on this the reason that i bet them just to win the national title and not to win the big 10 is i think there's a chance they could lose one game and still get in the college football playoff and i just like the odds better on winning a national title than whatever it is i think it's like 140 ish something like that so that that's kind of why i'm playing it that way Let's move on to Brian's bets here. Might have some ones we're stamping for him. Brian is going with Penn State under nine and a half wins. That's actually plus odds, plus 114. Look, Brian's Brian's logic here, he laid it out for us in the text because I questioned it, and he said, I think they lose to Michigan and Ohio State, and then I got just got to get one fluky game here or there. I've laid out my opinion. I think, Those three teams are just so much better than everybody else. There is no threat for Penn State losing a fluky game. We sure as hell know it's not going to be against Maryland, given the history of those two teams and the way we get our hopes up for that every year, only to be crushed. So it's got to be somewhere else because I don't think it's going to be Maryland. Uh, That's Brian's logic. Penn State under nine and a half. I don't I don't agree. I'm doing the opposite of a stamp. What's the opposite of a stamp Ben? return to sender Uh, reject return to sender uh, erase. I guess you can't really erase cross out. Um, I think it's return to sender. I'm I'm, I'm a tumbo. I'm a tumbo returning that one to sender sender. I, I don't like it, Brian, but that's what Brian's going with. He can, uh, defend his selection next time. Then he's going with Minnesota under seven and a half wins. That's minus one fifty as far as the odds go. Ben, what do you think of this one? Uh, I almost put this on mine. I very much agree with this. Their schedule is not super friendly. Uh, I'll give you their, you know, the five losses that they're going to have right now, barring anything else, Wisconsin, Ohio state, Iowa, Michigan, UNC. Those are five losses that you can pen them down for. And then they could lose, you know, they could lose to Purdue. They could lose to Michigan State. They could lose to Illinois. But I just think the way that this schedule plays out for them, it's just tough for them to get. You have to get eight wins to get this over seven and a half. And, you know, it's just I am all aboard stamping that with authority. Oh, there it is. Uh, Last bet here for Brian Indiana over three and a half wins minus one forty. Again, another one I don't get. I like Brian looking for kind of going the opposite way of the way people are thinking, but Indiana just seems like a really, really bad team to me. I was looking at their schedule and you know, they don't have necessarily the hardest schedule here. I'm trying to bring it up here quickly. Uh, they're going to beat Indiana State, an FCS school, most likely. They're going to beat Akron, a MAC school, most likely. But those are the only two games on that schedule I can mark down as Ws. I guess Brian would say he just needs to get two more, and then uh, he hits the over. But if you're looking for two more, I guess maybe Louisville in, in Indianapolis, which is Louisville is a team people like a lot. So I don't know about that. Rutgers at home. That's definitely one. Michigan State at home maybe is the other one. 
and at Purdue. I guess those are the three games. Rutgers at home, Michigan State at home, at Purdue. Can Indiana get two of those three? I'm not so sure. Brian thinks yes. At the price of minus 140, too rich for my blood. Oh, this is also the team that lost to Rutgers last year, so I don't know if you even consider that Rutgers game a win. So <laughs> No, I'm not considering it a win. I'm considering it a one they could win, though. Yeah. The ones that I'm saying that they have, they are not going to win is are uh, Ohio State at home, at Maryland, at Michigan, at Penn State, Wisconsin at home, at Illinois. I mean, those to me just seem no doubt about it losses. Yeah. Man, that's that's a bold move by him. Really bold. Yeah, interested to get his get some further thoughts and extrapolation on that one because I don't I don't love that one personally. I think Indiana is going the wrong way, and I think unfortunately Tom Allen, who seems like a pretty cool guy and a guy whose players really love him, I think he might be coming to the end of his run here at Indiana. Unfortunately, things have really been downhill ever since that COVID season where Michael Penix found the corner of the end zone, found the pylon in that game against Penn state. And they had a really fun, surprising, nice year. And they lost Penix. They lost Kalen DeBoer and they're now reunited back in Washington and uh, out there in Washington, big 10 rival Washington and uh, Indiana seems like they haven't, haven't been great ever since Ben that's our show it was a pleasure as always guys we're gonna be taking a, a week off here I'm out and gonna be out in California doing this wedding thing again congratulations to my sister biggest fan of tailgate till May Pamela Gorgi we appreciate all the support and uh we're excited for the big day so we'll be taking a little time off but then when we get back we are gonna get right into the season we have a ton coming up we're gonna be previewing week zero we're going to be previewing the group of five. We're going to be reacting to week zero, and we're going to be running down our full slate of preseason gambling picks before we really get into the real season week one. That's our show for tonight. I will talk to you all next time. Until then, keep the girl hot and the cooler cold. Cool.